Well, we have some beautiful guests with us here this morning, and I'm going to introduce them, and they're serving Christ both abroad and at home. And I'm going to make a premise today, and we're all going to understand this. Everyone is a missionary. To be a missionary means you're sent out, but some of them have gone further. Uh, we're not just staying in their, their neighborhoods. They've gone beyond their neighborhoods. So I want to introduce to you Lisa and a Jew, and they work with Wycliffe Bible Translators, but we support them. And uh, a Jew, they, we, they were sharing on Friday night, and he's been sharing and preaching, and he's, got a, he's part of a people group that live in Vietnam, Laos, and Thailand, and many of them are coming to faith in Christ. And so we're just really grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, Peter Ingle is a part of Clearwater Bible College. That's our fellowship school, and Peter's uh, been teaching there for how many years now? 30 years. Wow, way to go, Peter. Uh, Lisa uh, is actually representing the Central Alberta Pregnancy Care Center. Our church has been involved in this center from its inception and have been financially giving, and now you're the new director, and she's come and she's sharing a little bit about how the work has expanded over the years, and we're really grateful for that. Josh and Gina Bloomfield are from our church. They're now in Australia. They were in Fiji, and I'm going to let him explain to you what they're doing. Uh, Dr. Joe is actually a part of our congregation, but some of you may not know this. On the side, besides being a busy medical doctor, he has a radio broadcast, uh, and it's kind of an exciting thing, and he'll tell you more about that, because you're all invited after the service to Taste of the World. We have 19 different ethnic foods available for you to sample for free right after the service, and so they'll tell a little bit more about that. And uh, Anne Vanderham, and that, this is Kevin Corthius. Now, they're part of a ministry called Youth Unlimited. And for some of you oldies, this is the new name of Youth for Christ. And they're working with young people in central Alberta. And we're privileged. They're part of our congregation, and they're reaching young people. So let's just welcome them this morning. We want to thank you for your ministry. God bless you. Great. Go ahead. You may be seated. I'm going to let Josh, we had arranged this ahead of time. I didn't realize we had so many people available. We're going to let Josh speak for a few minutes and explain a little bit what's happening in his ministry there in Australia. Sounds better. <laughs> I guess that's what the red button is for, yeah? Um, you can see my wife and I, Gina, um, we spend a lot of time coordinating our costumes for Sunday. We're clashing quite well today. Um, anyways, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here with you guys. Uh, we serve with a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ in Sydney, Australia. Um, my wife and two daughters were there. We have been for the last two years. Uh, but I love what Pastor Paul said, that we're all sent. So I was born in Red Deer, and a handful of years ago, about five, six years ago, I was sitting in my truck uh, at the drilling rig. I used to work in the oil patch, and uh, just like Pastor Paul said this morning, Jesus' heart was moved with compassion for the lost. Well, I was sitting in my truck, and the Holy Spirit moved my heart with compassion for the lost. And uh, the Lord led our family. We rented out our house. We sold our belongings. We got rid of a lot of stuff, and we moved overseas. And we joined a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ. And their vision is to accelerate the spread of the gospel through the local church. Now, anytime you think about accelerating the rate of speed, you think not addition, but multiplication. And so the philosophy is how can we develop a disciple that will make a disciple that will make another disciple? Or how can we plant a church that will plant another church that will plant another church? There's that accelerated growth effect. And so we provide training, resourcing, and coaching to church planters, um, everyday believers like me and you, and uh, churches like Livingstones to become hub, hubs individuals or hub churches for evangelism and church multiplication, where if the church is working out their mission, then there should be a visible impact on the city. There should be uh, 
uh, it should impact the, the, the drug addiction. It should impact the, the number of street workers, the number of children that are born out of wedlock. These are the types of visible impacts that we the church have on society through we the church. And so as I began this ministry of training and so on, working with people, I come to realize, well, I can't just teach this stuff. I actually have to, actually have to do it. So a few, a few um, months ago, uh, we got invited to a birthday party in Sydney, and the birthday party was at a pub. Now, the pub is the kind of place in Sydney where families go to hang out. I know it doesn't make sense. You go, you watch the horse races, you make bets, you drink beer, you... Um, and so from Alberta, this isn't normally the type of place that I would take my family. And so please pray for my children as they're being exposed to things that normally we wouldn't expose our children to. But we are salt and light among the lost, right? And so we go into there and realizing, Lord, could it be that you are sending me into somebody's life, bearing your image, bearing your message? Would you lead me to someone who you want to speak to through me today? Everyday life, right? In an everyday place. So as we're walking up to the table, there are a whole group of friends there. We're the, only not, we're the only Christian people. And the Holy Spirit guides my attention to this one guy. His name is Craig. Now, Craig has a, a buzz cut. He's way bigger than I am. He's the biggest, baddest, toughest looking Aussie you've ever seen. He's got an upside down ta cross tattoo on his neck. He's got the tattoo sleeves and he's got a beer in this hand and a beer in this hand and a big frown on his face and he's just sitting there. And I thought, Lord, are you, are you serious? <laughs> and I sat beside him and said, hey mate, how you going? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm really tired though, man. I don't, I don't feel like talking. I was like, well, well, that's a way to start a conversation. And I said, oh, yeah, well, um, what do you do? Like, why are you so tired? You're busy today? And then he went, he was telling me about his job, and, and it was very similar to my job in the oil patch. And so we had that immediate connection, and we started talking. And he's like, we well, obviously don't work in the oil patch anymore, so what do you do? And I said, well, I, I work with churches all over the world. I am on the international leadership team of Ambassadors for Christ, and, and we work with churches and all throughout North America and Africa and Europe and Australia. And, um, and he's like, oh, yeah, I don't believe in God. I'm actually anti-God. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't go to church. Okay. Lord, this is really going well. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, well... I wonder why. See, when someone, when someone doesn't agree with my belief, my immediate response is to defend myself. And then as I've matured in my witness, my next defense is, oh, I need to defend the gospel. But the Lord allowed me to see further into this man's personal situation that there was something else going on in his life. And so I asked more questions. And he said, Josh, it's not, that I, it's not that I don't believe in God. Actually, I don't go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Monday. And the Lord opened my eyes, I believe. Okay, Craig, you go to church on Monday. You must be going to AA. And he said, yeah, actually, it's NA. And today I've been clean for 109 days from cocaine. And he said, it's actually, it's not that I don't believe in God. There are people in NA that the higher power is what he called it, has really helped my friends with their addiction, but I have not been helped by God in my addiction. And he said, it's not that I don't want God's help. If he does exist, I wish he would. And I'll tell you, it was so hard to fight both those tears. <laughs> And I said, Craig, if I prayed for you and asked that God would help you in your addiction, I really believe that Jesus has the power to rescue you and heal you and save your family. Would you be open to that? And he got a big smile on his face and he said, yes. And so we need to pray for Craig because I told him that Jesus can and that Jesus wants to. 
and I trust that he would. I have time for just one more story. See, it's not just my own personal witness, but it's developing other believers to live as a witness in their everyday encounters. And so we have a resource called Life to Life, and it helps believers cultivate the 10 habits of an effective witness. And I made an invitation in a church one day, and I said, is anyone here that wants to go fish for men? Just like Jesus invited his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, I was just figuring it out. And this one guy named Jason, he put his hand up and he said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to learn to do that. And so we, we started exercising this li life as a witness. And he was a business owner. He was a pollster in South Carolina. And, um, and he said, yeah, there's this, my sister, she's an unbeliever and she's an alcoholic. And I really pray that God would heal her and that she would find forgiveness in Jesus. And so we started praying one of the habits of an effective witness is to pray specifically and to pray intentionally for the non-Christian people in your life. Think about the people that you're working with, the people that you play with in your extracurricular. Pray for them intentionally and specifically. So we started praying for his sister. Long story, we prayed for five months. Well, after five months, Jason gave me a call and said, Josh, you'll never guess what. And I thought, I bet I would. <laughs> he said, my sister called me this morning. And she just told me that five months ago, she hit rock bottom. And God reached out to her in a significant way. And she's been clean for five months. <laughs> the power of God through your life as a witness in your everyday circumstances. You will not believe. So my prayer for you and as a church that God would move our hearts with compassion that now, look at Jason. Jason saw that in his own sister's life. Now he is church planting in Salt Lake City. He sold his business. He left his church in South Carolina and now he's church planting it's amazing what the Lord can do through a person's life. And I believe and I trust that God not just wants to, but he will if we allow him, if we fully surrender to him. God bless you. Thank you for your prayers. We love you. We thank you. It is a, such a privilege to be an extension of your ministry around the world. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, Josh. And... As we said, today's Mission Sunday, and what I want to do is just mention a little bit of what we're doing as a church family, because we don't usually talk about some of the things that we're engaged in or involved in. So I want to just mention a few other things. Uh, not only do we help the Alberta Central Care, uh, the Pregnancy Care Center, we also support Mustard Seed. Uh, you've heard Central Alberta Youth. Uh, we're, we're helping Clearwater, and, and uh, we're also, we also sent Josh and Michaela Geddard. Remember, they were here in our church. Now they're in uh, Quadra Island, BC. They're actually working as uh, permanent staff at a camp there, uh, helping them, and we're supporting them. And then we think of the Millers, Hannah Miller's mom and dad, our uh, high school and young adults pastor. Her mom and dad go to our church. They're actually ministering in the Caribbean and serving over there, and they're actually full-time. Our church supports them. Just, they're, like, they're part of our salaried staff, but we never see them here. A, we, we've loaned them out, and uh, that's what it's all about, folks. It's not just about what we need. It's about helping other people out, and then, you know, I get really excited because we're in the Middle East. We're sending broadcasts into Farsi, which is uh, uh, into a language, sixth largest language group in the world. That's Iranian people, and I don't know if you're aware of this today, but Iran right now is having an amazing explosion of the gospel, revealing Christ into the lives of people from a former Muslim background. They're coming in droves to Christ. It's the fastest growing part of the church in the world today. It's really amazing what God's doing. Uh, uh, so we're involved in that kind of a ministry through radio broadcast. We also have a gentleman, I'm not gonna mention his name because he always gets nervous about live streaming because he's in uh, places where uh, they don't take kindly to the gospel being preached. We'll just put it to you that way. So I'm not gonna mention his name. 
we have had him in our church. We've also are ministering in Asia. We're ministering in, in uh, Southeast Asia, not only with uh, Lisa and Aju, but also Jim and Calwin Humphreys. She's uh, uh, from Myanmar, one of the most uh, dictatorial countries in the world. And actually, we're ministering in Myanmar. Uh, we're ministering in a lot of countries that we're, where most people don't think missionaries can get into. We're there. Our church is supporting people that are doing ministry there. We're in North Africa. Uh, we're helping Dr. Thomas, who comes once a year and unfortunately had a quadruple bypass surgery and now is recovering in Chicago. But we've been involved in that ministry for at least 20 years. Our church actually built an orphanage. And every month for the past uh, 12 or more years, we have been sponsoring and feeding and educating and clothing over 100 orphans uh, as a church family. We're doing this as a church. We're doing it collectively and together. Uh, we are also uh, involved in Africa, a ministry there uh, that has two Bible colleges, orphanage, they're in prison works, they've extended into South Sudan and also into the Philippines. It's great work and we're supporting that ministry. We're also involved in um, church planning. This is really interesting. A number of years ago, I knew, I knew somebody, and they talked about uh, planting churches in South America. If we could you know, give them $75 a month per church planter. So our church immediately started supporting three church planters. And so for the last 20 years, we've been involved in starting three new churches a year. So our church has actually helped start 60 congregations in South America. Uh, and that's just giving you an idea of some of the things uh, that our church family has been involved in. But I, I want to move beyond that this morning and just get into a, a, the scriptures here briefly and just talk about the idea that God, as I said earlier, is calling all of us. This is not, you know, oh, we have special people and they got special training and we put them in a special place. No, every person who has responded to the call of Jesus Christ, God has opened your heart. You've received Christ as your Savior. You are a missionary. And you know why I can say that? Because the word missionary really comes from the idea of to be sent. Missionaries are sent out ones. And when Jesus spoke to his disciples, the last thing he said before he went into heaven, he said, go and make disciples. And so every one of us has been sent by Jesus to our world. Isn't that amazing? So in a sense, we are all missionaries. Now some of us maybe are a little more effective than others of us, okay? And some of us go, I didn't even realize I was a missionary. So maybe today is an awakening moment for you as a Christian going, oh wow, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm going, yeah, this is it. Because what God has in store transcends our earthly life. What you are about to embark on has eternal significance. So, you know, a lot of the things we do are gonna remain in this world. They'll come to an end at some point, including our physical bodies. But what you and I do on behalf of the kingdom of God, what God working in and through us is gonna have an eternal effect, and that's really exciting. So I just wrote down here, every Christian is a missionary because we've been sent by God, and our mission field is before us every single day. They're the people you and I are engaging with all the time. It's really an amazing thing. I don't know how many times I've run into total strangers and it was a, actually a serendipitous moment. It was a providential moment. It was a God moment and the conversation comes up and all of a sudden we're engaged talking about spiritual and eternal things. It's not amazing, but we have to be, like Josh said, we have to have an awareness that we're actually called to do this and God's interested in it. So what is the greatest obstacle that's hindering our soul from really engaging in God's missional purposes for our lives. How can we become a dynamic missional purpose? That's the question. And I think oftentimes it becomes where we become very mediocre. Uh, we, we become compromised. We get indifferent. We get caught up with this life. And I believe that the good life is the enemy of the great life. You see, the affluent society is keeping us from the great adventure. It's not an amazing thought. So we have to understand God has an amazing purpose for every one of our lives. This isn't just for Josh and Gina or Pastor Paul or you know, a few handful of people. This is for every believer. We can say, God, I'm signing up. I'm joining your great adventure and I wanna learn and engage how I can actually impact the lives of other people. 
Each generation, as well as different regions of our world, face different challenges and opposition, I believe, to this dynamic spiritual life. And Jesus said something so beautiful, and I hang on to this all the time. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So even though sometimes I feel like, man, I, I just don't have it together to do the building, Jesus goes, don't worry about it, I'm doing it. Uh, you just do what I tell you to do and I'll, we'll, we'll make sure it gets done. He's the major architect on the project. You know, how many know if you got the right people in charge, you're gonna go somewhere? And that's exactly, Jesus is promising us that. And I think uh, one of the temptations in every age is to get into a lulled state of apathy or we, it's almost like we fall asleep on the job, you know? I'm just kind of mundane going through the motions. So I think oftentimes it becomes you know, we're compromising with the values of our society. And it means for the most part, the church is left alone. If we, if, we don't, if we don't step out and actually speak what God wants us to say, people will leave us alone. Some of us will be just, I don't want to be bug pastor. I want to be left alone. But you're not on the great adventure then, you see? And then you go, you know, Christianity is kind of dull and boring then. But how many would want to add a little zest to your life? I can guarantee you this is going to add a lot of zest into your life, you know? Uh, the key to the church's advancement against the powers of darkness is the internal condition of the hearts of his people. That's why there's so much internal battle going on inside your soul. You ever wondered why, you know, the moment I start trying to do the right thing, I get a lot of pressure? And how many have ever noticed that? The more I get, you know, committed to doing what's right, I have all kinds of problems start happening. Anybody, how many notice that? Anybody besides me notice that? And then we go, I'm gonna back off. This is way too brutal. But can I tell you something? You see, the enemy knows that we're in a fight. And the moment you start moving out, you're actually engaged in the conflict. So now you're, you're actually fighting. And so a lot of us go, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lover pastor, not a fighter. I'm just gonna go sit in the corner and not, not, not engage in this. And I, I just want you to know, it really gets exciting when we start winning victories in the ring. That's when it gets really exciting. When you see people's lives become transformed around you. When you see you know, people who have lived helpless and hopeless lives and who've been totally broken, all of a sudden break through and come to find Jesus and their whole life is transformed in front of you. All of a sudden you go, wow, this is really exciting. This is what I've been missing. This is what's needed in, in my life. So I wanna take a look here at three threats to dynamic missional living from the book of Acts. And... Uh, I believe that God wants us to live a dynamic, spiritual life, and he wants to reveal himself through your life. Not just through my life, through your life. So let's take a look at these three threats to the dynamic missional life. And the first one is the enemy wants to silence us, okay? So when we're not communicating our faith, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with through life. That's the first place. If I'm not living the life, it doesn't matter what I say. If I'm living the wrong kind of life and telling them the right message, what do you think people are going, well, you're a hypocrite. So the first step in being a witness is I gotta live it. That's a challenge for all of us. That's why a lot of us don't wanna talk because we, maybe we feel like we're compromised. We're, we're really not living it. So the challenge is, Lord, help me to live the life. Help me to be empowered. Help me to become a holy person. Help me to be, a holy person means I'm separated for God's purpose. That's what it means to be holy. How many here have signed up and said, I'm totally separated for God's purpose? I recognize I'm created for him, not for me, for him. Once you get on that, that track, it's amazing what starts happening. Uh, now, not only through word, uh, example, but also through our words and primarily through our deeds. Uh, and I think when we don't, don't, are not engaged like this, we become disabled witnesses, and we're not really that effective, and we're not really that fruitful, and why does that happen to us? And I think it happens because we get extremely busy, we have the wrong priorities, we're afraid, and we just don't know what to say. I've given you four things there that hinder us from even saying anything. We're overly busy, wrong priorities, we're afraid, and we just don't know what to say or what to do. Okay, how, how does that sound? That's kind of, I'm kind of hitting all the buttons here. But let's remind ourselves that we have a story to tell. We have a message to offer. You know, the other day I was sitting out talking to a couple and they said, you know, there's a problem in, in, our, in one of our family members' lives and society says this person has no hope. 
And I said, isn't it great that we have a message that says there's always hope? You see, actually, when the society says that, they're actually biblical because it says without God, there is no hope. So when you bring God into the equation, that changes the whole hope issue, you know? And I love it when people said, I finally found hope. Uh, Len was telling me amazing testimony. I didn't go to the mayor's breakfast. I had another appointment, but he shared about this uh, First Nations person who finally fit, when I found Jesus, I finally found hope. And that's right on. That's exactly what the scriptures teach. That's exactly what starts happening. You know, when we are doing what God calls us to do, we should expect a measure of spiritual resistance in the form of persecution. As a matter of fact, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So one of the tests I have to ask myself is, am I being persecuted? And if, if I don't have any pushback in my life, then I go, why? Am I really godly? Because people who are doing what God wants, you're in the battle, you're in the ring, you're gonna have some pushback. But you're never gonna win any battles if you're never in the ring. And so a lot of people are going, my, my Christian life is so unengaged. You know, what strikes me about the first seven chapters of the book of Acts is how the spirit-directed boldness was what was impacting the city of Jerusalem. These guys were telling everybody. And they were threatened to be quiet. They were threatened with beatings. They were threatened with prison. They just kept spreading the message. That's what I noticed in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Very powerful. Even though they were threatened repeatedly, it didn't silence the early church leaders. They said we ought to obey God rather than men. We're commissioned to, to bring the good news to people. And they were preaching like, you know, like crazy and people were getting saved. Thousands of people were coming into the kingdom of God. You know, why is it that we don't see more people get saved? It's because we're silent. That's the number one reason, I think. We're silent. We don't, you know, we just assume, like, like Josh said, hey, I look at this dude, he looks mean, he's got no interest, and I back off. And what you find out, he's like that big line, he's got a, a thorn in his paw, and what he needs is someone to take the thorn out. Right? That's, that's what we need to learn how to do. Acts chapter one, verse eight. There were great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. Wow. Even uh, in persecution, the message takes on wings. I love that. William Larkin says, but the dispersion through persecution created a band of missionaries, not refugees. What a great line. You know, difficulty came, we got kicked out of town. All we did was go to the next place and start telling people about Jesus, you know? They didn't stop. Uh, John MacArthur says, Satan's attempt to stamp out the church's fire merely scattered the embers and started new fires all around the world. You know? And they're just spreading out. And the gospel's just spreading out. And then you go, oh, I wonder why God allowed persecution in Jerusalem. Well, because the church wasn't going. Remember what he said? I want you to go make disciples in Jerusalem. And then they got stuck. You know, we, we stopped. But then they, they went off to Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when you look at the book of Acts, that's the way the book plays out. You're watching them do that exact thing. Verse three, but Paul, or Saul, that's his Hebrew name, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, he put them in prison. How many go, Pastor, this is, doesn't sound fun. What you're saying is, if I really do this, I could end up in jail. New, new ministry, new location. No, I thought about it. You know, if I keep preaching the way I do and the way that uh, things are going in Canada, who knows, I might have a relocated ministry. But do you think I'm gonna stop? No, just keep preaching. Maybe they'll be receptive. God sends you where he wants you to go. These guys went, and then it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That word preaching there is not your normal word that we would think of the word preaching. It's more like gossiping. They, everywhere they went, they just started telling people. This is like daily conversation. This is the kind of preaching that you and I need to practice. It's just ordinary conversation. It's conversation with people. I'm just gossiping the gospel. That's what it's all about. Now, we know that this word, he went about you know, scattering those people. I mean, the persecution comes in various forms. From avoidance, yeah, I'm not gonna get near this person. They're a Jesus freak, right? Or to being slandered, people say things that are wrong or not true about you, to losing one's goods. These people were losing their houses. Physical abuse, that gets pretty serious. You know, I've met people who have actually been uh, physically uh, 
affected. I, I, I've been in India. A lot of persecution in India. There was a young man there that I got to know. His hand was cut off by his mother and acid was thrown in his face. That's pretty intense. Uh, isn't that true? You were there, uh, Al. He's nodding his head. Yep. Philip. Beautiful young man. But that's what happened to him because he became a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you something. People, I was in a classroom teaching and God's spirit spoke into my spirit and said, there's people here that are going to lay down their lives for me. That was very humbling as a teacher. And the next year when I came back, one of them had been martyred. He had been murdered because he was preaching the gospel and people refused to listen. That's intense persecution. We don't have that, but some parts of the world do. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. This is John 15. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. That's why the world hates you. Some of us walk around going, oh, they hate me. I'm going, okay. They hated Jesus, you know. I even had a relative tell me once I was demon-possessed. But I said, that's okay. They, told de- they saw Jesus was mad and demon-possessed too. But then I was thinking about it. This person was inebriated, and I was thinking, eh, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you also. And if they obey my teaching, they'll also obey yours also. Wow. In Acts 8, 1 to 4, we find a church under extreme pressure where people are losing material possessions, dragged off to jail, families separated by the intense rage set off by Stephen's death. You know, most scholars believe it was the Greek-speaking Jewish people that were under greater fire than the Hebrew ones because the, the other ones were probably more conservative and they didn't rock the boat the same way. Let me tell you, if you start really sharing the gospel, you're gonna rock the boat. Some of you go, I don't like rocking boats, Pastor. It's not my style. Well, let me put it to you this way. I don't think we walk around trying to rock boats. I think we just, if we, keep, if we keep growing and becoming more like Jesus and we're not ashamed of the gospel and we're willing to share it, you're gonna rock a few people's worlds. It'll happen. It states that they went everywhere preaching the gospel. I've already said that. Okay. We have a moral responsibility to those without Christ to share the good news of God's love and forgiveness even though there is a cost involved. What was the cost of Jesus to come to our world as the first missionary? It cost him his life. And because of that, you and I live. When, what silences us today? Is it our fear of what others may think of us? Do we have a lack of concern for others? Or is there a lack of conviction that people without Christ are perishing? See, I think we've lost the sense that people without Christ are perishing. You know, we, 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 you know, today there's a lot of people, they don't believe there's a hell. Let me tell you something. The one that preached the most on hell was Jesus. And he's the most loving person I know. So if I really believe what he believes, then I need to do something about what's gonna happen to people in eternity. So we need to be a little more forthright with people. And you know, we think, well, I don't wanna offend people. I'd rather offend them than to leave them perish. And you know, sometimes when you say something, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, but sometimes when we say something and they don't like it and they walk away, who's to say that a year or two later, the very thing that you shared is the very thing that now God is using to bring them to himself? But we don't see that. A church that is passive usually is localized in its scope, concerned only for its, one, its own needs, and easily squeezed into society's values without a whimper. And I'm seeing more Christians being squeezed into society's mold. Anybody say amen to that? Bible says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not, the word conformed literally means being pressured and squeezed into its value system. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and perfect will of God. God wants us to really give our lives to him in a very amazing way. Let me move on to the second point. The second thread is deception. We're being seduced today and deceived what, what appears to be reality. How often people are tempted to embrace counterfeits. I'm seeing more people today, more involved in spiritual things than ever before, but it's all false. I actually even taught a course in our church on you know, the, tr- the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then I realized most Christians don't have good doctrines, so I went along and taught basic doctrines. And these are all recorded now, and they have notes, 100-page notes, 160 pages worth of notes on being able to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 160-page notes on what is the basic Bible doctrines of the Bible. 
Because if you don't know what the truth is, you're going to believe a lie. It's very important we know these things. Now for some time, a man named Simon practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called a great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his what? His sorcery. He was deceiving them. One reason for deception is that people are embracing a form of spirituality that does not originate in God. And by the way, this is growing in leaps and bounds today like never before. Do you know what I think is fascinating? I've been to India 12 times, and I'm watching how the new age is really just the old age repackaged and brought to North America. And so many people are culpable and are being deceived by it, and it's leading them into demonic activity. I'm seeing more demonic activity now in my pastoral ministry than I did in my earlier ministries. More people are engaged in it today than ever before. You know, I'm just telling you honestly, it's happening. A lot of us are going, really, Pastor? I'm going, that's true. Uh, It says... Uh, I like what William Larkin writes. He says, the tarot cards of psychic readers, the crystals of new age devotees, and the amulets of a witch doctor are common in many societies today. Many are following magic to find the power to cope with life. You don't need to go to magic. You just gotta come to Jesus. His power is so beautiful. He's absolute love. And he's got, he's, the power of God is greater than any power Satan can come up with. You know, I had a guy come to my office one day and he told me he had the wrong spirit inside of him. He was sitting there and he goes, Pastor, I just wanted to beat you to a pulp, but I couldn't move a muscle. And I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. And at the end, I, I just saw him put his head down and he starts weeping. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus? He said, yes. Amen. And he did, we prayed. And when he got up, he was, tears were just streaming down his face. And the, the, the staff will tell you, this, they were a witness to this when he came up. Tears streaming down his face, and he said, can I give you a hug? And I said, yeah, and he came, and he, and he wept on my shoulder like he was a little boy. I just held him. And then he said, you know, when I came into this office, I wanted to kill you. I wanted to beat you up, but I couldn't move a muscle. Something was holding me. I said, that was the power of God. God is greater. God is greater. One reason for deception is embracing, as I've already said, a form of uh, spirituality that's wrong. But John MacArthur says, We're living in a state of self-deception often. We have a wrong view of ourselves, of salvation, the spirit, and sin that leads to a false faith. And that's true. In other words, if we have a wrong view of life, it means that we'll trust in things or people other than Christ himself. And we need to trust Christ alone. You know, I love people, but ultimately people will let you down. Even the best people will let you down. Isn't that true? Christ alone is pure. Christ alone is truth. You know, I can put my full trust in him and I know he'll never let me down. You know, our culture has deified humanity and uh, depreciated God. We have a high view of human beings and a low view of God today. What we should have is a high view of God and an understanding that we're all sinners. How many know we've inverted it? That's creating all kinds of problems. The power of God demonstrates that the plan of salvation is found only in Christ. Philip went to the city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. Look what happened. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. So God was now demonstrating his message through power. It says, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. How many know God's getting getting attention here? And so there was great joy in that city. You know, I pray for my city. I want to have great joy in the city. I want to see the city turned around. I want to see the city come back to God. I want to see, you know, Christ ruling and reigning in our city. I want this to be a city that's not noted for violence and drug abuse and all the negative things we're getting noted for. I want want the city to get turned around. And only Christ can do that. It's not a political answer we need, people. It's a spiritual answer. And the best way to expose the false is by practicing the truth. Uh, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, the sorcerer, and was baptized and followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And then we see the reality of the gospel crossing racial lines. I love this. You know, there's so much racial tension in our world. You know what the answer is? Jesus. You know, I remember reading this book by one of my friends. He's an author. His name is Dean Merrill. He, he actually interviewed uh, 
Arafat's bodyguard. You know the guy from Palestinian, Arafat? He was his bodyguard. This guy was trained to kill Jews, hated Jews. And, uh, but God got a hold of his life and he became a believer of Jesus. And at the very end of Arafat's life, now he was no longer working for Arafat, but he went back to the Middle East and he, he was actually running a daycare and a school for uh, children. This, this is amazing. This guy was a terrorist, right? You know, and he's, he's, he's telling his story. And so Arafat came by one day and he said, hey, you know, they were chatting because he knew him. And he said, what's the answer? This is at the end of Arafat's life. What's the answer for peace in the Middle East? And uh, Taz said to Arafat, he said, you're not gonna like the answer. It's a Jew and his name is Jesus. I love it. You know, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans, who you know, were the racially impure people, accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And then John, it says, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They, they, they had not thought that they might receive the Holy Spirit because they hadn't come upon any of them yet. Then Paul, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Then something very fascinating happens. How many know there's probably nothing worse than someone who's using the things of God to manipulate other people? Can I just tell you, you don't want to be that person because you're going to stand before God one day. So here we have what I call the charlatan exposed. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. We actually have a name now for this behavior. It's called simony. And simony is actually the idea of uh, buying or selling sacred things like offices or positions. And by the way, that happened a lot in the church's history. People started doing that. In Simon's case, he wanted to buy God's power for his own purposes. Notice uh, he says to them, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. You know, it's a lot of people. That's where they're living. They're full of bitterness and a captive to sin. And it creates a lot of havoc. Uh, Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. That's a good, you know. So how often are people taken in by gifted people rather than by character? You know, I just finished teaching all this year in the book of 1 Corinthians in a class. And I started out the, le- the course with what denotes true spirituality. You know what, we came to the end of the book. You know, what it's, you know what it came down to? Four words. Do everything in love. It's about character. It's always about character. Let me go to the last point. The third threat to dynamic missional life is earthly success. This is very fascinating to me. Uh, When things are going great, it's difficult to move at God's promptings to places of obscurity. Now watch what happens in the story. Stephen is now preaching. They have a revival in the city. How many go, this is where the action is, man. Look what's going on. All All these people are coming to faith in Christ and God... Uh, does something very interesting. We're going to see it in a moment. There's always, I think, the human desire to be where things are happening. That's human nature. But biblical success is not defined by what we achieve. See, if you think God's measuring you based on what you're producing, that's a North American value. That's, That's North American standard of success. God is evaluating your life and my life by our obedience. That's the true measure of biblical success. Am I doing what God's asking me to do? I can't control outcomes, and I can't control results. You know, a lot of people, why they don't share their, the faith of the gospel? They, they feel like, well, if I do, they won't respond. I'm going, that's not your job. My job is to bring a message. You're, it's what you do with it is your responsibility. Now, I've done my part. You know, God is, I can pray for you. God's working on you. You can say, I, I'm just gonna blow that message off. I'm going, You know, what can I do about that? But it could be that you hear the voice of God through this and go, God's speaking to you. You see, that's, we're only responsible for bringing a message. We can't convert people, folks. That's not our job. You know, listen to this. The Holy Spirit, this is so fascinating to me. We need to remember something. Uh, Sometimes God will move us from a place of high success to a place of obscurity. And you're going, what? 
Sometimes God will take you when you feel like you've been the most productive and bring you into the wilderness. Look what happens. Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, leaves the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Hmm, interesting. In the case of Jesus, he was directed to be tested in order to be strengthened. See, we think tests are a bad thing. I'm gonna encourage you this morning. If you're undergoing great tests right now, just go, okay, I'm in God's gymnasium. He's strengthening my faith. That's a different way of looking at it. Count a pure joy, brother and sister, when you're going through great trial. We're always praying, God, deliver me from this. God's going, no, I want you to work something out in your life. I want you to grow as a person as a result of this test. That's what happened to Jesus. He comes out of the wilderness full of power. Now his ministry goes to a whole new level. It's powerful. Notice what happens. Philip is now directed by an angel. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south of the road to the desert and the road there that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he starts out, and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candrake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I thought that's fascinating. So God removes him from a place of extreme busyness and effective ministry, and he brings him out to a desert. How many of you say, uh, why am I, what am I doing here, God? And oh, God goes, oh, Oh, see that guy with the chariot? Run up and catch up with him. When you read the whole story, it says he ran up and he could hear, hear him reading from the book of Isaiah. So Philip says, hey, do you, get, do you get what's going on there? He was reading beautiful chapter, Isaiah 53. He says, I haven't got a clue what I'm reading. He says, let me explain it to you. He says, hop up on the chariot. And he explains to this Ethiopian eunuch the gospel of Jesus. And he gets baptized. And I'm gonna tell you what's powerful about this. Most people attribute the church in Ethiopia today for, for this particular encounter. This one life changed a nation. You and I don't know the person we're talking to, the effects that that person's gonna have on the lives of other people. You and I have no idea. Opportunities are often found in the most unexpected places. And these opportunities are fleeting. The Spirit said go, and what did Philip do? He ran. Uh, we need to work for Christ, for Christ demands immediate obedience to every prompting of his spirit. I like this, is Dr. Charles Urban says this, the way is prepared for all who obey the voice of the spirit. Lord, help me to hear your voice. I'm gonna close with this. Let's stand as we close the service. Just, I'm just gonna encapsulate what I just told you. Number one, what, what is the threat to missional life? The enemy wants to silence you through adversity and persecution, through busyness, distraction, all those kinds of things. What's another way he wants to do that? He wants to leave us in ignorance through deception and false messaging. You know, so we need to know the word of God. Somebody says, I wanna to get to know God better. Very simple, spend time in your Bible. That's God's word. That's God talking to us. You know, a lot of people want to hear a lot of other people. I'm going, forget it. Just get in there and start reading and ask God's spirit. Say, you know what? I need a little help here. And if and some of you say, well, I don't know how, how to really start learning. You know, we have classes that we teach how to interpret the Bible. Wow, isn't that neat? You know, I'm going to do that one again because I don't have it recorded. And that's good because some of the ones that I'm, I've mentioned, I have recorded now. You can actually take it any time at your leisure, in your home. You don't even have to come to the church. You just... Click it. You ask my executive assistant. She sends you the link. You can watch all of the, you know, the classes, and you get these notes sent for free. You get an actual, you know, commentary on the whole uh, classes that you're studying. You're going to learn a lot. We have to apply ourselves, so we're not going to be taken in by false teaching, right? How many think this is important? I think it's critical. And then finally, you know. Sometimes we are so successful in our lives, it's keeping us from what God wants for us. That's kind of a tragedy. You know, if, you know, if the devil comes along and says, hey, I can give you this, and it means earthly success, but it means spiritual lack and poverty in your soul. When you get to heaven, do you think all the earthly success in the world is gonna do you any good? I don't think so. So you have to make a decision. And that's why I'm talking like this today. You, have, you and I have to make a decision. What are we gonna choose? 
In door number one, Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And everything you need for life, I'll provide for you. As a matter of fact, when I designed you in eternity, listen to me carefully now, God designed you in eternity. He created you and gave you certain gifts and he has a purpose for you. If you and I will surrender to him, he'll take you down that lane. He'll, he'll take you exactly where you need to go. You go, yeah, but I'm, I'm past that age, pastor. Uh, Caleb was 85 when God gave him a big assignment. Moses was 80 when he took on his biggest assignment. No one's too old. Yeah, but I'm too young, pastor. I can't do that. Well, I don't know. Mary was pretty young when she got uh, asked by the, Holy, you know, by the angel to become the mother of Jesus. She was a teenager. There's nobody too young and there's nobody too old. We can choose door number one. Say, I'm gonna put God first. Let's go, God. I wanna follow through and see where you're taking me. Or you can say, no, I'd rather have earthly success. I'd rather have more of a hassle-free existence on the planet. But then you're gonna forfeit door number one. You're taking door number two, which I think is a more, not as, a, as difficult to life, but it could be sometimes even more difficult because the wages of the transgressor is hard. And as we get further away from God, our lives get more messed up. And what I'm dealing with today as a pastor, I've never had to deal with before. The complexities of sin in people's lives today are far greater. And it's breaking my heart. So you know what? I'm praying for you. And I do pray for you as a church family. That you will serve God wholeheartedly. Amen? Amen. That you'll seek his kingdom first. That's my prayer for you that there'll be nobody able to silent you because your life is going to be coming through strong, loud, and clear. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, as we come into your presence right now, you're calling us. You're calling us as... We're missional people. We have a mission. And you're saying, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of people. I'm going to make you fishers of people. I have people for you to talk to. I have people for you to connect with. I have people for you not only to share the good news. I have people for you to walk beside and mentor and help develop them and grow in their Christian faith. And Lord, we want to open our hearts to this. Maybe we're insecure. Maybe we feel we don't have enough information. Maybe we're afraid. Whatever that's keeping us, busyness, wrong priorities, whatever it is, Lord, we want to just recommit ourselves to your mission for our life. And we thank you for that, Father. How many are saying yes to the Lord right now? In your heart, you're just, raise your hand. You're saying, yes, I am committing myself to doing this. You got your hand in the air. I'm saying, yeah, my heart, I, I'm, I'm committing myself to doing this. I'm gonna let God be in charge of my life. Let's go, God. Let's find out where we're gonna go together. It's gonna surprise you where he's gonna take you. If you would have told me as a new Christian where God was going to take me, I'd, I'd tell you, I don't believe that. But God's taken me all over the place. I'm going, this is amazing. How did I get here? God, God has a plan. Lord, I just pray that you're going to fulfill every, every heart cry today. Fulfill that dream that you've put in their hearts. Make it a reality. And help them, Lord, get excited about the great adventure that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.